0: Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show, He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts.
1: Wednesday, September the 8th, as we say good afternoon to you, five minutes after the hour of 5 p.m., another edition of Lifeline. Lots to talk about on today's program. A little bit later on, Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee, going to spend some time with us sort of unpacking what's going on with the uh, the passage of the Texas Heartbeat Act and what all this means in terms of it being left standing by the United States Supreme Court. Some suggest this is the beginning of the end of Roe v. Wade. Details coming up later on in tonight's edition of Lifeline. A lot going on in the news today. Boy, that's for sure. And certainly one region that is capturing a lot of interest and attention right now, even as we come up on the 20th anniversary of the attacks on the World Trade Center, is the Middle East and specifically Afghanistan. Chaos and turmoil, terms that perhaps well fit what's going on in that part of the world today, specifically, as I say, Afghanistan, although these are also terms that perhaps well fit a region that has been rife with chaos and conflict for decades, centuries even. Some say it's all just too complex to understand. Others would suggest, perhaps even my first guest tonight, that we simply are trying hard enough. Not trying hard enough to understand just what's going on in the region, not just from a political standpoint, but to understand its people, the years of pain and disappointment. And mistrust. Joel Rosenberg is an insightful and thoughtful writer, a New York Times best selling author, 13, count them 13 books to his credit. He's also founder and editor in chief of All Israel News and All Arab News. Joel makes his home in Jerusalem and joins us tonight to talk about his latest book, newly released by Tyndale called Enemies and Allies, an unforgettable journey inside the fast-moving and immensely turbulent modern Middle East. And Joel, it's a privilege to have you back on the program.
2: It's great to be back, although it's such a painful time, isn't it, when we're looking at President Biden's surrender to radical Islamism to to the Taliban on the very eve of 9-11. It's just horrific and it's a pure...
1: It certainly is heartbreaking, and I'm and I'm glad you bring that up because we need to kind of start with what is undoubtedly on the top of all of our minds. Even as we will in less than a week mark the 20th anniversary of the tragic events that occurred in New York City. You were in New York at the time, were you not?
2: I wasn't in New York. I was in Washington, right, very close to the. Um Washington Dulles and pe- the Pentagon, uh, where this, the, the next plane came in. Uh, but I had been at the top of the World Trade Center just days before that, actually a couple weeks before that. But um, but I was finishing a, my first political thriller that morning. Um, I've been working on it for nine months. The last Jihad and the first pages of that novel put the reader inside the cockpit of a jet plane hijacked by radical Islamist terrorists coming in on a kambakaze attack mission into an American city happened to be Denver not New York or Washington but that was my first novel and I was finishing it on that morning and And then, you know, the
1: world exploded. Well, we always knew that you were a prolific writer. I didn't realize you were also equally uh, apparently a prophetic one. Uh, But that certainly has been a hallmark of most of your writing, both fiction and nonfiction, your ability to help us sort of unpack what's going on in the Middle East. And and there does, uh, I I think, at at many levels, not only seem to be a tremendous amount of distrust amongst all the parties, the West uh, included, but an awful lot of misunderstanding understanding and and maybe we can begin with that point uh, to watch this very painful Awkward withdrawal from Afghanistan. I think one of the comments that perhaps uh, amongst many that set me back on my heels the most was a remark made by the president several days ago in response to uh, the the tragic human uh, suffering that's taking place there in the capital of Afghanistan and to suggest that nobody could have seen this coming, which has to make one wonder. After 20 years literally boots on the ground um, and having watched Challenges in that part of the world faced by the British Empire that was very unsuccessful at taming the Afghan people. Certainly, Russia had its 10 year long bout that ended in complete failure, and now it seems as if the United States, almost that we have failed to learn any lessons from history. What do you think?
2: Well, only President, uh, President Biden has failed to learn these lessons and his team. I mean, we had won in Afghanistan. It wasn't perfect, but it was Afghanistan, right I mean, yes, it was a, it's a poor country. I've been to Afghanistan. I've met with tribal Muslim leaders there. I've met with Christian, uh, Afghan Christian leaders there. Uh, I met with uh, U.S officials and military officials there. I, um, but, but everybody knew that, um, you know, at the end of last year when President uh, Trump left office at the beginning of this year, it was stable. It wasn't great. It's Afghanistan, but it was stable. Um, we had 2,500 troops on the ground, another 7,500 NATO forces. That They were bolstering the Afghan army, and it was hanging, right? It, but but Biden came in and pulled the Jenga stick out, and it collapsed. He abandoned the country. He surrendered the country. Even getting rid of the Bagram airface first before you get Americans out, look, in the book enemies and allies i i explain that this is biden's pattern yes he's been around for 50 years but as bob gates the former defense secretary under the democrat administration of obama and biden as he said on the record i love joe biden if i if there was a crisis i'd call him for help but the man's been wrong about every foreign policy issue for the last 40 years now, that's not exactly true, and I say in the book, you know, Biden's gotten some things right, but, but why, did, why did Gates say that? Because, as one example, as I point out in Enemies and Allies, in 2011, Biden boasts that he persuaded Obama to pull all U.S. military forces out of Iraq. Well, what happened? We had a vacuum. ISIS grew into that vacuum and launched a genocide that took years for us to dismantle and stop and cost countless lives. This is Biden doing again what he did in 2011. This is incompetence matched with hubris, and people are dying as a result.
1: And, you know, the irony here is that the argument goes that, well, you know, this has been a never ending war, the longest in American history, and it would just simply time that we withdraw ourselves. And and, and certainly there's a lot to suggest that that's uh, there's a lot of wisdom in that. But the methodology in which the drawdown took place and and basically, uh, you know, announcing to the world with very clear plans as to precisely the date, time and manner in which this very awkward withdrawal would take place. I mean, it almost seems as if the Taliban just decided, you know what, we can win this war without even firing a single shot. We just need to sit back, be patient, and the minute the Americans are gone, we'll be able to run roughshod over the t- entire country. And if you believe the most recent press reports, they, they are now announcing that the final province has fallen into Taliban hands. And ironically, Joel, and with great disappointment, and I, and I say this with all sensitivity towards the Gold Star families, that have literally lost their children in the fight to try and not only protect America, but provide some freedom for the Afghan people. It it feels as if a lot of this has been for naught, simply because we, we, we we had the upper hand, and instead we just turned our backs and walked away, and in doing so, lit the match to the powder keg.
2: That's right. One man's decision. I mean, it was fine six months ago. It, 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 not good, but fine enough, uh, you know. And who was fighting and dying? Not Americans. American. There's not a single American that had died in Afghanistan. Not any of our soldiers in several years. But 13 died last week. Why? Because of one man's decision, President Biden. Now look, in he fund, Biden fundamentally doesn't understand the threat of radical Islamism. He didn't in Iraq. He doesn't in Afghanistan. Worse, however. Is Iran. He's trying to make a deal with the radical Islamists who run Iran, while they are just two months away, according to Israeli intelligence, from acquiring enough nuclear enriched fuel that they could start building nuclear warheads. And, and this is this is the point I make in Enemies and Allies. The, Biden doesn't understand it. So I went and I sat with almost every leader in the Middle East who does understand it. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, King Abdullah of Jordan, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman of Saudi Arabia, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Zayed of United Arab Emirates, President El sisi in Egypt. I literally spent hours and hours and hours on the record with the most powerful American ally, Israeli and Arab, in the Middle East. And this is the only book that's ever been published with their insights. You have the crown prince of Saudi Arabia calling the leaders of Iran uh, or the, the, the supreme leader of Iran the new Hitler. It's interesting to listen to Muslim Arabs describe what the threat of radical Islam really is. They do understand it because they are fighting it. They're fighting it militarily, ideologically, theologically. And this is... If you want to understand the mess we're in but also who the good guys are and who the bad guys are enemies and allies is the book because I take you into the palaces and you hear them our our allies in their own words uh, uh explain these things and love them or hate them you'll hear them and understand them and i think you'll contrast that with president biden who claims 50 years of experience but clearly has No wisdom.
1: And and perhaps, Joel, you've hit upon a a very important distinction, a a notable one, and one that might even help us understand some of the challenges that we've had with American foreign policy in the region, and that is simply this that the United States typically and historically has gone in, and we're going to tell them how to do it. This is how you need to negotiate. This is how you need to behave. We sort of try to set the tone and, and, uh, and dictate all the points, and we're so busy talking. That nobody's really sitting down and giving enough attention to these people to listen. And this is one of the unique things that Joel has done in this new book, Enemies and Allies. It's an opportunity to literally sit across the table with many of the notable leaders of countries like Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Jordan, Israel, And get an understanding of not only what they're thinking, but how they're feeling and their own challenges and fears. And and this notion of it simply being the West against the Middle East or the Western world against radical Islam, far more complicated than that. In fact, that overly simplistic viewpoint is probably what has gotten us into the trouble we're in today. Best-selling New York Times author Joel Rosenberg with us today. We are talking about his new book, Enemies and Allies, an unforgettable journey inside the fast-moving and immensely turbulent modern Middle East. Probably one of the most thoughtful books of our time, and maybe one that every secretary of state ought to be compelled to read. We'll take a time out. We're going to come back to more of our dialogue with best-selling author Joel Rosenberg as this edition of Lifeline continues.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: New York Times best-selling author Joel Rosenberg with us this evening. His latest book just newly released by Tyndale Publishers is called Enemies and Allies, an unforgettable journey inside the fast-moving and immensely turbulent modern Middle East. Joel brings some unique perspective to this that uh, he's been in Jerusalem. He gets a chance to sit down in his travels as an author and journalist and meet with many of these key leaders in that part of the world and and as you've had a chance to interview some of these leaders, Joel, is there a common thread that you've discovered that maybe was an eye-opener to you in terms of maybe a, a a more complete or accurate picture of the sentiment of other leaders in that part of the world when it comes to the threat of radical Islam with countries, for example, like Iran?
2: Yeah, it's a great question, Craig. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I would say two common themes emerge. One is that yes, Iran's leadership—not the people of Iran, but the regime, specifically the supreme leader of Iran—is the number one, um, most serious threat. And if Iran gets nuclear weapons and the missiles to deliver them, this poses an existential threat to Israel. I mean, it literally could lead to a second Holocaust. Uh, we have six and a half million Jews in. Israel now, I'm one of them. I'm an evangelical, but I'm from a Jewish background. I'm an Israeli citizen. Uh, Iran could completely wipe us out for a second holocaust with just a couple of strikes. The the Arab countries feel in danger by the same thing. But ultimately, remember, um, Iran's leadership calls the United States the great Satan. Israel's only the little Satan in their equation. So ultimately, they're coming after the United States. They get the missiles to reach us. Here in the United States, I'm in Washington right now, that's what they're going for, genocide against Judeo-Christianity. Now, that's the one theme that they—that every Arab leader sees it, every Israeli leader sees it. They just don't understand how Biden doesn't see it. Hmm. That's number one. And number two, this, this fear that Biden is retreating from the region and cutting them, Israel and the Arab allies, loose and trying to make a deal with Iran— <laughs> is causing Arab leaders to say, you know what, if push comes to shove and we had to go to war with Iran, we don't want to, but if we had to, can we trust the United States to be there with us? And they're concluding no. And they're looking to Israel and thinking, you know, we used to think of Israel as an enemy, but now we see Israel as an ally. We better join forces. And that's part of the reason why four Arab nations formed peace treaties with israel last year under president trump's brokering it is impressive they were called the abraham accord uh, we are coming up on the one-year anniversary of the signing really extraordinary and i listened and i talked to these leaders in depth on the record again not a single book on the market um ever written uh, that, that tells the inside story of how this remarkable game-changing moment has emerged in the middle east both with our enemies, but also with our allies. And I I think people will find it fascinating because, again, how often does anybody, much less An Israeli Jewish evangelical sit down with the most powerful Muslim leaders in the world and have them tell you, "I want to make peace with Israel, and this is why." And
1: and, you know the total irony in your book is that I think historically there's been this notion, and and it has been uh, vastly promoted by uh, media authors, uh, many others. In fact, many that promote the idea that do not even have a uh, uh, you know a, a stake in this game that. Would suggest that it is singularly Israel against the rest of the world, and of course that would suggest then that uh, that every single state gets along that they all have israel 's economy and a common enemy and and as a result they 're more than happy to line up against israel, but as you 're suggesting, and the peace accords a year ago as proof positive that that is not fully the case, and that that maybe that was the case. In the Middle East at one time, but it's almost to suggest that time has stood still. And yet we've seen many of these Arab states come to the table, broker an agreement with Israel, accept Israel, and as you point out, recognize that some of their neighbors are a far greater threat, particularly in the case of a nuclear Iran that, quite frankly, is is not hesitant to go uh, at war against any of its neighbors, not just Israel, but anybody else in the region
2: you just nailed it you just this is why this book enemies and allies is so interesting you know i usually write political thrillers uh, you know fiction that sort of goes on this high speed high octane uh you know exciting journey into the middle east but it's fiction but this is a political thriller that's fact because you're right for a hundred years the arab states had all been 100% opposed to israel and trying to literally wipe us off the map. That's what they said. That's what they've tried. 1948, 1956, 1967, 1973. I mean, you just go on and on. But something fundamental has changed. A tectonic shift is going on in the thinking, not just in Arab palaces, but on the street, in, in much of the Arab world. Not all, but most. And it, it's it's absolutely fascinating. And And you know, in the last 18 months, as you know, Craig, most Americans have not been thinking about foreign policy. They're focused on COVID, their churches are closed, race riots, a bitter political campaign, the shift from Trump to Biden. Some a lot to process, right? And you guys are dealing with a recall election. I mean, a lot of domestic-focused issues, the economy, inflation. But what's happening outside our country is sweeping. I mean, the evil is growing worse and more dangerous and dark, but, but we're also seeing great change, very positive, and no one has captured the story yet. And the only way to capture the story is to sit with these leaders and let them tell their story. How did they change? What were, the, what were the turning points in their own decision making um, it's, a, it's a totally fascinating story, there's a bunch of Nobel Peace Prizes out there that ought to be earned now and won this fall by Trump but also by our Middle Eastern allies and yet Biden can't see it he, he's, he's, try, he's trying every day to make a deal with the Iranian leader the new president in Iran Ibrahim Raisi is guilty of murdering literally 30,000 Iranians in his lifetime. He, 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 why? Why is Biden persisting in the fantasy that you can make a deal with a man who's murdered 30,000 people and and he's sort of abandoning our actual allies? He, he is, if I wrote it as a novel, Craig, you wouldn't even buy it. You would say, come on, Joel. No American president would surrender... Uh, Afghanistan to radical Islamists on the 20th anniversary of 9-11 and make a deal with the Iranians instead of strengthening our allies. Nobody would buy that book as a novel, but it's actually happening in real life right
1: now well and as you point out you alluded to this uh that there almost seems to be a, a sense of american foreign policy at least uh, uh, under the current circumstances uh, stuck in a time warp that they still act and think as if it's 1967 or 1973 and any 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 adult that pays any attention can tell you a lot has changed we perhaps have not slowed down long enough to sit and to listen and to study and to try to really understand and, uh, and that can be very dangerous, as the events of the last several weeks have, have proven. I, I was curious, even looking at the, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, and thought, wait a minute, we're such in a hot hurry to remove the tr- troops out of there, and yet we've had troops sitting at the DMZ in South Korea since 1953, more than 30,000 of them, and I guess we could suggest that they are no more or no less in danger uh, being there to the threat of North Korea than American troops in the middle of uh, Kabul in Afghanistan. And yet, we don't apply to North Korea or South Korea, rather, the same sense of troop withdrawal urgency that we do to Afghanistan. And now we're beginning to pay the price, and significantly so, in Afghanistan. It is an amazing book. It's a very unique take. On what's going on in the Middle East, not simply from the perspective of an American or of a Jew, but of the leaders in that part of the world. And you want to talk about something that's 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 eye-opening? As I suggested earlier, maybe a copy of this ought to be sent to the Secretary of State and the President, because they could learn much from Enemies and Allies. An Unforgettable Journey Inside the Fast-Moving and Immensely Turbulent Modern Middle East. Newly published by Tyndale House, you can get it at the, all the usual Suspects, including Amazon.com. And Joel, we appreciate so much your time and your insights. You're always a fascinating interview, and I, I'm i really appreciative that you're taking the time to sort of um, pull the lid back, so to speak, on what's really going on in the Middle East to give your readers a deeper and better understanding.
2: It's my honor, Craig. Thank you for giving it some attention, and I uh, hope you and your readers find it really fascinating.
1: Thank you so much. Roe Rosenberg, again, best selling author of the book. Enemies and Allies, you can find it now at bookstores near you or through Amazon.com, published by Tyndale. It's 532.